0: Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A T as in Tom, I. Sparks, as in sparksareflying.com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest, Zach Budd. Zach is a self-proclaimed nerd, sex geek, and consent junkie. (laughs) He's currently working toward a Master's of Social Work degree at the University of Houston, Zach is also a proud member of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom and writes for the Sex Positive blog on Medium.com. Welcome to the show, Zach.
1: Hey, Sumati, thanks so much for having me back. I mean, it's been great to talk to you in the past and looking forward to doing it again, so thank you very much.
0: So great to have you. Yeah, we, um, I think the reason why Zach said, have me back, is because he participated in my summit, which is a little different from my radio show. The summit was a series of video, Zoom video interviews with um, a variety of experts in the field of ethical non monogamy from all over the world. And um, Zach, Zach has somehow earned the title the Consent King. So we talked a lot about consent <laughs> in the summit. And so I'm going to be telling you all about how to have access to that um, a little bit later in the show. So um, Zach and I did an interview once before. And I also ran into Zach at the Rocky Mountain Poly Living Conference in Denver last month and um, attended one of his talks. So he's a prolific speaker who gets around.
1: (laughs) 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 Prolific speaker. I'm going to add that to my resume.
0: (laughs) Right. Prolific speaker who gets around, right? um so i'd like to start by just learning a little bit more about you zach we only had a half an hour interview in the summit so i'd like to take a little bit more time to learn about you and learn about how you determined that you were polyamorous or whatever word you use and Uh got to the point where you actually call yourself a sex geek so tell us a little bit about your history Okay.
1: Well, yeah, thank you so much. Um, So, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact, I identify as polyamorous, and since we're uh, talking about how I identify, I am a um, assigned male at birth, cisgender um, uh, male. I'm queering, but I do, I have been mostly straight, but I consider myself sort of transitioning because I don't believe straight is a solid necessarily thing that very much is a flux. Um, mm-hmm. I, I am polyamorous I also consider myself slutty And a bit of a, a sex geek um, And for, if it matters I'm also um, kinky as well um, Yeah Very much a geek Because uh, I, I, one of my identities Which has nothing to do with necessarily sexuality But is my personality Is that I am very much an introvert And so I do a lot of just Sitting by myself on the internet You know, reading, researching And just information is something That I'm very much a junkie Over and just learning about things Particularly if I have a curiosity about them Um, I came across the term sex geek um, From I found it from Reed Mahalco And his website and of course his summer camp and stuff And there's actually sort of a Definition uh, um, That has been coined in the Urban Dictionary About Reed and sex geeks And it's essentially somebody who has a passion For sexual information Which I do and is sort of like a geek um, And really wants to learn this stuff But also wants to teach it um, and at the same time, lacks, I mean, I have some sort of social ineptitude, but, but I, I have not, not so much that it keeps me from wanting to teach and educate. Um, and that's kind of where the idea of a sex geek comes from. Um, so it's a bit of an obsession mm-hmm. for the information, a passion for it, and then wanting to teach. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, so I do identify as a sex geek. Um, I, I live here in, in the, the city of Houston in the great state of Texas, which is, um, for all practical purposes, my hometown. And like you said, I'm a graduate student in the Graduate College of Social Work at the University of Houston, um, where I'm working on my MSW. Um, how I came to polyamory, um, like a lot of people, I didn't start out that way. Um, I was, like everyone else, born and raised in the default. I'm a recovering Catholic, and I had actually did the monogamous thing and gotten married. Um, and, hmm. you know, loved my wife and, and uh, kind of went through that, and it was uh, – now, I didn't know it at the time, but I married somebody who was extremely jealous um, at all times, and not just of other possible romantic or even sexual interests, just jealous of every relationship that didn't involve her. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, manifested itself in what eventually became, and there's no other word for it other than abuse, a lot of control and stuff. And anyway, um, without going into too much detail about that, after about a six-and-a-half, seven-year marriage, it's in between because we were divorcing when we had our seventh anniversary. Um, after our seven, uh, seven years of marriage, I got out of that marriage and really sort of reestablished myself. Um, as an introvert, I was not allowed to have any alone time for the better part of 10 years, so I did a lot of recovering from that. Um, I realized I was punished for being an introvert in some cases. Um, and so just a lot of discovery of myself and, you know, I didn't find that, you know, in my marriage there was a very, a major disparity in sexualized. I was romantic um, to the point where I, I do like people and I like connections, even though I'm an introvert and I sometimes uh, or oftentimes will eschew groups and stay away from large groups of people. I do like intimate connections with human beings. Um, I know people laugh because I'm now, as you say, a prolific speaker and I public speak a lot. But that's still me talking to a group of people, and then I go and hide and deal with individuals on a smaller basis. It's not me just mm-hmm. in a loud group of people where everybody's talking. I mean, I can be didacticated, just be me talking to a hundred people. That doesn't bother me. It's when I'm in a room and there are fifty voices going on, um, I usually can't physically hear more than two voices at a time. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of how that balance works out. But uh, anyway, after my marriage, there was a lot of just rediscovering myself and my introversion and getting to know that and, and own that, and then realizing that okay, well, maybe I I am different. And at one point in part of my marriage, because of the sex drive, my ex had me thinking that I had an addiction, that there was something wrong with me. And Mm -hmm. because I'm a geek, I investigated that. So I went to 12-step meetings. I went to Mm -hmm. SAA, SLAA, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was that I did not have an addiction. I was in rooms with people, and some of them had addictions. But not everybody in that room had addiction, and certainly not me. And that was mm-hmm. sort of led me to this discovery that we live in a society that likes to call sex an addiction very, very quickly. Um, right. And that's that's where this concept of sex negativity came to me. And then, you know, that's that might be sort of the key that opened Pandora's box for me because then you start really reading and researching that. How much of our society is socialized to be so anti-sex unless it's under the right conditions and the moon is full and only for one purpose and, you know, only so many times because, you know, all these rules that are just sort of arbitrary. And then once you start breaking or rather (laughs) questioning question, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, if I could just, yeah, if I can just insert there, um, I see that so much with my um, hetero, Um, you know, straight couples that are in long-term relationships where oftentimes the woman is no longer interested in sex when she gets older. And it could be because, you know, she never really knew how to ask for what she wanted. Her husband never really knew Uh how to give it to her or, you know, sometimes women's libido lessens after menopause or she could be legitimately ill. And so when, when those things happen because of monogamy, um, and the man is there like, dude, I'm still horny, right? Um, so she right. can't handle him going outside the marriage, so she ends up shaming him for his sex drive. And so so many men get in that position where they feel like there's something wrong with them for having a healthy sex yeah. drive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that was absolutely the case for me. And, I mean, it wasn't even that old. I mean, I got married in my mid-late 20s. And mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, you're a couple years in, and it's like, what's wrong with you that you want to have this much sex? And I'm like, I did not think was right. anything wrong with wanting to have sex with my wife, um, or <laughs> right. you know, or, or even, or you know, and let alone you know, regularly, or not even necessarily regularly, but just you know, more than whenever it was convenient. It, it, it you know, without going into too much of that because I, I I try to be careful about talking about too much about my ex because this is a bad person. I did love her, and and you know, I married yeah. her, so. Um, but it was clearly not the right relationship for me. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so kind of getting out of that and discovering that and realizing how much of this was socialized into me. You know, I'm, a, again, born and raised Catholic, and I went to a Catholic high school where we were learning what the, quote, unquote, Roman Catholic family traditions were and, and, you know, doing all that stuff and realizing, okay, wait a minute, maybe this isn't, you know, where it's at for me. And that led me down a couple paths. I started off um, engaging in local swimming communities uh, in the Houston area, and met some swingers and made some great friends and, and, and had a couple connections and had some experiences. Quickly figured out that when you're the introverted single guy as a swinger, you end up watching the dip a lot at the party. You just don't do much. <laughs> right. because Introverted mm-hmm. slash shy means nothing happens. You go to the party and you got to hang out. And that's if they let you show up because for the most part, single men aren't allowed to go by themselves with good reason. Right. Oftentimes they've had a bad habit of, of not behaving themselves. So that didn't work out. It's like okay, well, what else is out there? And that's right around the time, and I forget where I first heard it. The term polyamory came up, and I think the you know like again, I'm a geek, so for me everything starts with a book. And the first couple of books, one of them was Ethical Slut, um, and then I went uber nerdy. Most people go Ethical Slut and like um, opening up and in more than two. I read Ethical Slut, and then I kind of went and found Sex at Dawn, and then I went back mm-hmm. and reread um, Stranger in a Strange Land, and And Mm -hmm. that's when my brain sort of started to really sort of open up. And then at that point, you know, you get me chasing down books and you'll lose me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think Um, you you had
0: like a paradigm shift. And that's what I think is so important when people are pursuing ethical non-monogamy is to allow those paradigm shifts. And, you know, when I go to conferences, I always hear at least one thing that explodes my brain and takes me to a new level. So we have to continually be open to that if we are to succeed in this lifestyle.
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's the great thing about the conferences is even for me as an introvert, maybe I don't want a lot of the socialization, although some, but you also don't want to be like when you're on an island And, and, you know, when you discover, Hey, maybe polyamory or polyamorous is what I am. And, you know, you look up and, I mean, I live in a big city, but crap, are there other people like me? I'm, I'm the only one that I know of. And then, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't want to be that, that lone voice, let alone be the only voice, because I can't have all the information about this. I just discovered this myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what I think the conferences are great for is that collaboration. Um, yeah. And, but, yeah, then I ended up I started speaking about them because consent was a topic that was important to me for a bunch of reasons. Um, but uh, mainly because I, I think I started out um, as somebody who was seen as a leader in the local Houston poly community and, and being that and both active in the kink communities and seeing consent issues come up um, in both of those communities and trying to find ways to deal with them and just this understanding that uh, not only in those individual communities, poly, kink, or any alt-sex communities, our society as a whole I think we understand the definition of the word consent, but the practice, if I can be blunt, just sucks. Um, Mm -hmm. And ironically, not ironically, but sort of sadly, I started sort of really working and researching, because, again, I'm a geek, researching this idea of consent and how do you break it down and what are the bare bones of consent. At the same time, the current iteration of the Me Too movement exploded. And so mm-hmm. it was a big timing thing for me. It's just here I am mm-hmm. teaching this individually to groups, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's hitting the news. At one point, it felt like it was every other week we were getting some new news story of somebody out of Hollywood or some famous person who's got a major issue re- recognizing people's consent. Um, and so, yeah, that part of it is timing, <laughs> and part of it is having the right passion for the right thing when the time comes. So. Right.
0: Yeah, and consent, you know, we in our world, it seems to be all over the place, but it's still kind of a new concept. I was reading about this um, woman who was, I don't know if she was born in India or born here, but she was bicultural. And she went to India and did a, uh, some research with the men in India. And 100% of them did not understand the concept of consent. Just did not right. grasp it yeah. at all.
1: <laughs> I was shocked yeah, by it that. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a bit and that's a cultural thing i mean globally and you know i know sometimes those of us that live in, in the western hemisphere and what we consider more quote unquote civilized society we sometimes get this wrong where we you know we're, we're very us centric and we think that you know we're doing it better than others and the reality is humanity as a whole has had a problem with this let alone women's rights but just in general mm-hmm. respecting consent of individuals we do not do it well uh, and I've had to be mm-hmm. careful of that because I have learned as I've taught about this topic um, that if I'm not careful, I will see my own biases come out because I am from, you know, the Western hemisphere and from the American society. And if I'm not careful, I may think that we are more enlightened when it comes to things like consent than, say, some other cultures. And the reality is we're not. It manifests differently. But, you know, and I talk about in my consent workshop, you know, if human history is between ten and 20,000 years old, we haven't gotten this right yet. I mean, nobody is just – you know, clearly the the gold star, you know, of how we should do this consent thing when we're interacting with human beings in, in our society. So um, it's it's clearly something that I think the world needs. Um, I just, I, I started in my little corner of the world and I keep, they keep asking me to, to do it elsewhere. So um, mm-hmm. something that must be going right.
0: And so we, we skipped over from, you read some books to now you're speaking about consent. So how did you <laughs> end up as an introvert uh, starting to have multiple polyamorous relationships.
1: Wow. Um, it, I realized that polyamory could work for me, but that it, it was, the thing that appears to me about polyamory was being intentional. Um, mm-hmm. Realizing that it, because on the outside looking in, it seems like, well, you kind of are having your cake and eating it too. Um, and I always, whenever somebody who isn't polyamorous asks me about that and they think it's this wonderful, great thing, I'm like, you, you may be looking at this through rose-colored glasses. There is work involved here. Now, I'm a person that I don't mind doing the work if the payoff is such that I can both be an introvert but have multiple relationships. I knew for mm-hmm. a fact that I had the capacity to love multiple people um, at the same time, you know, you know, maybe not in the same room at the same time because, hello, introvert, but that I could love more than one person and that I would mm-hmm. want to have multiple relationships because that's the part that would hurt is to, you know, love three people in three different places and have to choose one of them, to me, felt very, very cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I just started, one, once I acknowledged it in myself that I am polyamorous, um, I became intentional about making sure that anybody who was going to be a potential partner of mine was very, very clear on that fact. Um, Because I didn't want this sort of, well, okay, it's not for me, but we'll see what happens, and then, get down the road and things don't work out because they thought it was a phase I was going through. And that actually happened to me once where I was very clear with somebody about, no, listen, I'm, I'm not monogamous. I've, I've tried monogamy. It does not work. Um, um, and I am a polyamorous person. And it that, uh, that particular relationship lasted for a while, but it's because they basically convinced themselves to go along with it when they really weren't on board with it. And so now I'm extremely intentional about any new potential partner that they make sure they understand. And I almost won't date anybody that isn't poly anymore, um, not mm-hmm. entirely, right. because, you know, because it, it, that drastically reduces your potential partner pool. But um, I, I'm very careful about that. So, but truthfully, mm-hmm. what really happened for me was I had to take a risk, uh, and I'm channeling Dr. Brene Brown here. I had to sort of mm-hmm. be brave and, and be vulnerable and step out there and actually find community. And I'm lucky there was actually a somewhat active community here in the city of Houston, which is a very large, very diverse, very big city, um, mm-hmm. and there are some poly folks here. Now, they don't always interact, but they were meeting each other regularly. There was a weekly discussion mm-hmm. group um, that was happening at the local um, LGBTQ center uh, in the city, and I just started attending that group. And I think probably for the first six to eight months, I didn't say a word. I just sat there quietly writing stuff in my notes <laughs> pad and listening and learning. And then eventually, I started talking. And my joke is always they couldn't get me to shut up. Um, And (laughs) what what happened was because people liked my ideas. And by that point, I had read you know probably my top five books. I had read more than two. I had read Ethical Slut. I had read The Opening Up, and um, Open by Jenny Block, and all, all these other books that I have an entire list of. I had done some of this reading and really delved into it, and then practiced a little bit of it. I was starting to sort of cut my teeth, and I guess the way that I spoke and related things and articulated things really kind of caught on with some folks and because um, I would, people would tell me, man, I love your ideas and I love the way you say things, and people would just randomly ask me for advice, which really freaked me out because <laughs> I never mm-hmm. thought of myself as an expert in anything. But when people are like, hey, you're brilliant and you know more than I do, so clearly you know everything, let me ask you these questions. and <laughs> um, what eventually ended up happening is that uh, group that I was going to, that discussion group I was going to, I ended up facilitating and being one of the facilitators uh, for a couple of years. I had the great opportunity to do that, to facilitate that discussion group for a couple of years. And that's where I really cut my teeth and not just having the information but being able to share it and articulate it to other people. And it was in that capacity when I started working on the consent stuff. And then I think I told you the story of the catalyst for when I started teaching consent, which was I was out with a girlfriend and just got pissed off because I heard some horrible ideas about consent, and I went from researching it to building an actual presentation and just started teaching Mm -hmm. it. So that's kind of the whole transition from, yeah, married miserable mono guy to Zach the Consent King, as it were. (laughs) Right.
0: So I just attended the solo polyamory conference in san francisco and uh learned a lot there yeah and wondered if do you identify um with any particular terms because even under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy there's so many different forms so do you have a primary partner do you do you um prefer primary partner do you prefer a more egalitarian model um how do you practice it
1: um, I live alone, I am solo Polly um, my primary um I think you came to my self care workshop, so my primary is me, but um, my live in primary is my dog um, do <laughs> relationship i don't I don't do hierarchy um at least mm-hmm. not for me um mm-hmm. and for a couple of reasons one because I'm solo and I mean although some of my partners are married and and they have live in spouses and nesting partners and primaries and that's fine um but for mm-hmm. me i I don't like to you know, strategize or sort of, I guess, stratify love. I love you, period, yeah. in the story. That's what's important to me. Now, you know, some, again, some of them are local, some of them are long distance, so the time isn't equal, but, you know, time is the mm-hmm. one thing that is scarce. Um, But anything right. that I can give abundantly, I don't I don't give at different levels. Um, right. So, yeah, so I, I consider myself solo and I'm non-hierarchical, kind of relationship anarchy because, I do what I want, and if I want to date, and I do, and if I don't, that's fine. And, you know, sometimes I, relationships are just friendly, and they're 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 very deep and loving, but they're not at all physical. Sometimes um, mm-hmm. relationships just haven't become physical yet. Sometimes they mm-hmm. start off extremely physical, and then, by the way, hey, we actually get along. So, you know, I, I remain open to anything that can kind of happen. I like for things to grow organically, um, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of trying to put things in the boxes that sort of let them be what they are, um, and and foster them the way they should be, in that way.
0: Awesome! I love it! I love it! <laughs>
1: Very cool. Okay, so <laughs> on my uh, to focus
0: a little bit more on on consent, since we often call you the consent king. Um, on the um, the summit, you went into detail about your is it five pillars of consent?
1: Yes, the five pillars. Right.
0: Five pillars. Yeah, five pillars. So you went into all five in great detail. So if people want to Mm -hmm. learn all about those, I'll direct you to the summit before we close here today. Um, But for the sake Mm -hmm. of time um, today, because I do want to talk about some other things, maybe you can just tell us what those five pillars are and maybe just choose Mm -hmm. one of them to go into a little more depth about.
1: Ah, okay, yeah. So the five pillars of consent, um, I, I use the acronym INVEST as in investing in the stock market. Um, the IN stands for informed. The V is for voluntary. The E is enthusiastic. The S is specific. And the T stands for timed. And to choose one, oh, that is mean because they're all so important. To me. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll tell you what, um, I'll, I'll go with voluntary. Enthusiastic is, is a game changer, but I'll go with voluntary because people tend to think that, with well, voluntary consent, that makes sense. It's pretty straightforward. And the reality is that it, isn't Um, Mm -hmm. because voluntary means more than just they actually wanted to do it. Um, It needs to be articulated and clear that someone wanted to do something. Um, Not only that, like they have to be completely free to um, have to say no. So for me, voluntary Mm -hmm. means that someone is free from coercion. And to be free from coercion is to have the ability to say no and to have their no be respected. Um, And Mm -hmm. that's where in the instances I see of consent violations, whether they be small, local, individual, or bigger scales or things that we've seen in the news, um, there's somehow that idea of what's considered a voluntary um, um, consent has been either flummoxed with somehow, you know, fudged, or somehow danced around. Getting someone drunk, so drunk they can't say no doesn't mean that they didn't Mm -hmm. say no. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I make that statement, and it seems obvious, but yet there was a law written such that that was how somebody was able to get out of a rape uh, charge is because the victim was too drunk to say no, and therefore she didn't say mm. no, so it couldn't mm. be a violation. Um, uh, and that's so because that's where that no means no comes from, and that's why I say that the voluntary piece um, people think no means no is is the key there, and the problem with that is, and as I say in, in the workshop. Uh, And whenever I'm talking about the the five pillars is no means no is not enough and it never has been. Um, And so the opposite is is the true. You need an enthusiastic yes as opposed to no means no. So um, Mm. the other thing was the voluntary piece um, that I I often mention uh, that I'm very proud of mentioning because I have been engaged with squingers and stuff like that um, is that um, people free from coercion means also somebody needs to be sober. Um, Getting drunk Enough to do something that you wouldn't do sober is a problem, particularly for me because as you know, I was a single black male at swingers parties, and if somebody had to have four beers before they considered talking to me, I had issues with that because my question is why? Mm-hmm. What, what is mm-hmm. it? What is it that you can't do? You know that you will do with me drunk that you can't do sober. And the problem right. I have with that is, and again, you've heard me talk about this. I don't like misunderstandings. If we wake up the next morning and we're both sober and we don't have the exact same feelings we had when we were having sex, I've got a problem there, and I end up in right. the shorter end the sixth being the big black guy in America. So um, that's kind of right. significant. So yeah, that's kind of the that's a little bit of in depth on the on the voluntary pillar of consent. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think about our our friend Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> and how, how he's he's just playing such the innocent that, you know, he didn't mean anything sexual by all this touching and that he was just comforting people. And then I hear all the mainstream media defending him and, and saying, oh, we just can't even shake hands anymore and going to, like, the other extreme. And I just keep yelling at the <laughs> television going, he just needs to ask them first. You know, it's just, like, beyond <laughs> their comprehension to just ask first. It drives me nuts.
1: Oh, man. It's funny. You mentioned Joe Biden, and if any of my friends or partners are listening, they probably cringed because I went on a couple rants about Joe Biden lately for the very same reason. I've heard the defenses of him in the media. Well, he's always been handy. And then if you watch Mm -hmm. his, what they call an apology video, where he makes the comment that in his mind, politics is always about connecting people. And I'm sitting here thinking, you don't connect with people by sneaking up behind them and sniffing their hair. My God, that is creepy. And (laughs) just like you, I'm I'm yelling, I'm clenching my fists. I can't believe that, you know, we're having what's supposed to be an intelligent conversation with intelligent, educated people. And this is going on. This is creepy Mm -hmm. as hell, and that's a problem, mm-hmm. plus the fact, too, mm-hmm. that he didn't actually apologize. He just explained why he did it, which is right. also extremely problematic. So, yeah, it, it's stuff like mm-hmm. that that had me, you know, pulling out what hair I don't have, freaking out, saying, clearly <laughs> people need to be teaching about this because we're not getting it, yes. you know, so, um, clearly, yeah, yeah. That, that's, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden is a good way to get my heart rate to jump about 15 minutes <laughs> a minute, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and the defenders go to the other extreme, like, or like, oh, we're supposed to never shake hands or do anything anymore. But, you know, I've learned, even as a, you know, a, a woman who, you know, most of my life has been considered attractive in most circles that I'm in, I've had this privilege mm-hmm. that I can just go up and talk to, I mean, uh, go up and just hug somebody and assume that they mm-hmm. want to hug me. and. I've gotten so much better at just asking and asking before I even put my arms out because putting your arms out almost kind of puts them in the spot to be the bad guy to say no. And then you kind of end up feeling Mm -hmm. stupid. So they may hug you just because they don't want you to feel dumb. So I've learned Mm -hmm. to not even put my hands up. I've just got my arms completely at my sides. And I just say, would you like a hug before I make any movement toward a hug at all? And really give them a chance to be an enthusiastic yes to that. And I've even learned to do that, you know, because of honoring all human beings may not be in the mood to hug right now. And, you know, they don't want to end up looking like, you know, they're not appreciating me or I don't want to put them in that place, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fantastic that you use the example of a hug because I use that example myself. This is where the introvert me connects with the consent king me, is that I went through much of my adult life cringing when people wanted to hug me because I thought I was supposed to. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that I could advocate for the fact that I don't want to be touched right now and just kind of Mm -hmm. say no. And so now, as I tell people, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure I did this with you when we met, Sumitri, is that if people ask me if they can hug, one, I'm much more likely to do it. Two, I will usually say, thank you for asking and yes, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like that. I am much more mm-hmm. open to a hug if somebody asks me first, only mm-hmm. because I really re- appreciate that and respect that. But at the same time, I am – and I do that for a couple reasons. One, I want to reward people who take the time to ask because that's – I'm modeling the behavior I want to see. Two, I yeah. like the fact that I was given the opportunity to say no because that is a consent thing, and nobody owes you a hug regardless of the situation. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that, that's something that I'm, I'm – I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a fantastic example that I use all the time because that's really where I came at a lot of this from, was like, listen, I don't want to be hugged right now, and that should be mm-hmm. okay. I shouldn't have to mm-hmm. fight and get mm-hmm. loud, tell you not to hug me when simply <laughs> not having to, you know, say that, you know. And, that, and again, just ask, you know. Um, so, and, and I don't know if I've had the privilege of, of being attractive, but I am a male that can sometimes be intimidating and whatnot to people, and so I try to be careful about that. Now, of course, I'm not perfect. Nobody is, um, but, yeah, I, I, I have really tried to sort of um, be better and, again, more intentional about the things I'm doing, and I'm, I'm very intentional about asking for consent with almost every interaction I can think of. At least I try to anyway.
0: Right, awesome. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Summa T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at summatsparks.com. We're speaking with Zach Budd, who is a um, a graduate student at the University of Houston and um, writes for the Sex Positive blog on medium.com and speaks at a lot of polyamory conferences on various topics. We were talking about consent, and we're going to go into some other subjects in a moment. But if you have any questions for Zach, please feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1132. Six five seven three eight three one one three two, and you'll be put on hold, and we'll get to your call as soon as we have a break in the action. So, um, I wanted to go into another topic, um, something that you mentioned when we were um, texting each other, that you're working on helping marginalized people who are sex educators to. Uh, gain mm-hmm. more of a platform and have their voices be heard more. So, can you tell us a little bit about that project?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, thanks for asking about that. So, yeah, this is a new project that I, I'm that is just now starting. It's in its infancy, infancy, and um, it's basically me and a few awesome friends who I'd like, share this idea with, who essentially encouraged me to get over the introversion and go do it because it was in their minds a brilliant idea that needed to happen. And it's another idea that I've been motivated to move on because I got pissed off. Um, what essentially happened now that I've been, as you say, you know, prolific in speaking and going to so many events and, and whatnot, is that I see that the what I call the the space industry, and I and I use the acronym space. Clearly, I love acronyms. Space stands for sex positive activists, counselors, and educators, um, mm. and I call it the space industry this space industry, this sex-positive industry of ours, is a lot like the, the um, our, our general society. Um, I mean, a little bit more open-minded in certain things, but it can still be very, very um, tilted towards the privilege, towards people who can travel, who've got the money to travel, who are able-bodied, who are, let's say, probably wealthy, um, who are better uh, public speakers, who, let's say, don't um, have uh, – chronic disabilities and whatnot, um, are attractive. Um, in many cases are white and in the sex positive community because of the, the, the subject matter, they tend to be overwhelmingly white females, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm not mad at that. It's just that when you look at it as a person who is a black male and, you know, I have, um, you know, when I know people who are, you know, either LGBTQ identified or what we call, you know, the, the cutie pox, the queer, trans, people of color, they look up and they don't see themselves. Um, Kevin Patterson mentioned this in his book, you know, that it, it, when those of us who are sex geeks or something like that got into this, we started reading, and a lot of these authors are white females, which is fine, but you don't see us, you know, represented. That's one of the reasons why, um, you know, he said that, that he was motivated to write his book, and he kind of told me, you know, let's change the landscape. Um, but what – so I had this idea running in my head. The main catalyst was um, a while back on Twitter, and I want to say almost a, uh, quite a year ago now, um, somebody had po- uh, posted a list of, on Twitter, um, sex educators and, or sex-positive educators that you must be following. And it's like the top 25. And I believe out of that top 25, I mean, there were essentially 24 white women and Dan Savage. And it was just wow. you know, clearly you're sitting there and you're like, Okay, we've been whitewashed and, and it makes it sound like you're mad at the people on this list and you're not. I mean, oh I'm sorry, Sunny Megatron was on there. Um, she's actually a person of color, although a light skinned person of color. There, you know, there's a few other people mm-hmm. who are on there. But it was a big list of mostly white women and Dan Savage and so it was very, very um, I don't know, I heard a bunch of things. It looked it sounded like coastal elitism and it was the famous ones, and there's all sorts of stuff. And what happened was the those of us who are marginalized in this space industry reacted <laughs> as we do, and we banded together mm-hmm. as we do because i mean we 're not a monolith, but I tell you, you piss us off and suddenly we move all together um, mm-hmm. and it just became it was clearly this white I and mean, then of course, you know it was having these conversations back and forth, and there were a bunch of responses and a couple of these organizations that were involved in this, you know, they did the wrong thing, which is to get defensive and then get quiet and say, listen, this is all we know. And then they wanted the people who were marginalized themselves to say, well, listen, if you know other people, let us know. And the response to that is, no, it's not our job to do the labor. You need to come find us. And then the response to that was, well, we? we don't know where to go to find you. And then the response to that was, well, listen, Ruby Johnson, who is a black woman <laughs> – is a sex therapist runs a a conference, you know, every year. She's not doing it this year, but it happens every year in Dallas, which is full of, you know, queer, trans, LGBTQ identified, POC, other abled, neurodiverse people who are, I mean, there's literally been a hotel full of us at this one conference Mm -hmm. every year and whatnot. So we're not that hard to find. One just has to prove that they care enough about actual diversity to find us. And, Mm -hmm. It, it occurred to me that, okay, you know what? If we're having trouble being heard in our community, then our community needs to listen better. And guess what? I'm just, I just happen to be somebody who can get mad enough and have a big enough mouth to create a platform where I'm going to do things like, um, one, reach out. and, and my, So my first goal is visibility. I want people who are uh, marginalized and have some sort of marginalized identity to um, know they have a voice and that you know, we'll collect their names and their information and whatnot and put them somewhere in a database so that they can be found. But to start speaking up for us, and so I identify, you know, get it, maybe, you know, get us a T-shirt so we can raise our visibility, and then two, give us a place, you know, um, the opportunity to speak. Maybe it's a blog where we profile them, you know, once a month or something like that, so that you know we we aren't just seeing each other on social media and yet largely being ignored by the very community and industry that we're working in. And then three, for us to band together as one voice and call out when these whitewashing things happen and say things like, listen, it's not cool to come to one of us and say, help us be more diverse, but we're not going to pay you for it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the magnificent Dirty Lola has what she calls her Rolodex, which is literally a list of all these people. And so this is basically an idea that I'm calling the Space Force um um to kind of poke at the current president of the United States. That's why I came up with that idea. Is a uh, Space Force, you know, with the acronym. But uh the, Did the you come up with Force that acronym? To, uh, I came up with the acronym Space and then I decided I was going to call this a Space Force. I and, and just so you know, I'm gonna um be your competition because I want to have a podcast that I'm gonna t- title the Intersectional Space Station. Um no, I love so, it. I love yes, that
0: acronym. Yeah. That's such a great acronym <laughs>
1: Isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, I'm having fun with it, but it works. And so I came up with the acronym SPACE, and I was like, you know what? This is going to be an army, and it's going to be Space Force. And that was right after the current president you know, instructed the Pentagon to create Space Force. And so it was just fun to yeah. have, but at the same time, it's a serious idea that we're going to have fun with it, and why not poke at the president while you're at it? Um, so, but yeah, so the idea is going to be in sort of an expansion of what Lola did with her Lola Dex, which is kind of create this database. And what's been fantastic is as I've talked to other sex educators and sex positive educators who are marginalized themselves—they're queer, you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're trans, they're POC, they're neurodiverse, they're other able or something like that—they, they, their eyes light up and they're like, "Oh my god, Zach, this is a brilliant idea. You need to do this. We need to make this happen." One of my partners was like, "Babe, we are not sleeping on this. This has to happen." This world, our society, our industry needs this, you know. And so that's one of the things I'm working on right now is I'm putting that together. We've got a vision plan in hand. Uh, I'm going to be writing a mission statement here soon. We're going to probably uh, look at how we're going to organize it, either an LLC or a nonprofit, something like that, uh, start reaching out for donations and stuff. So that's what thing am going be looking for soon. Um, hopefully in the next couple of months here I'll be able to make more noise about it. Right now it's the idea of getting off the ground stage. Um, that is largely oftentimes beholden to how much energy I have when I'm not working or doing school or something else. Mm-hmm. So well, but, let me um, let me see yeah, if I understand
0: yeah. this. So so this is um, obviously to give a platform um, for um I like I say cutie pox. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. but and but marginalized people and so many people wanna have diversity. Um, and so you talked about Dirty Lola has a Rolodex. So, are you saying that that you would ask for like more speaking fees, or ask for to to be honored financially, or other ways to bring diversity to events and things like that? Did I hear that correctly?
1: Um, number one is going to be increasing visibility. Um, oftentimes, those of us who are you know marginalized, you know, either we're we're, we're queer or we're people of color, or something like that who are speakers and our educators in this space, the only reason we get known is because somebody knew us and brought us there. But as a whole, the society, the industry doesn't know us. What I would like to do is, you know, say, hey, we have this database full of these marginally identified people. Okay. And say if you you want to have some diversity among yeah yes. So you would you would like to
0: connect with produce event producers and tell them that you have these, these awesome educators available.
1: Yeah, or, or have them come to us and say, you know, listen, you know, do you know of some folks? And say, so, yes, that way when people, you know, are looking for a list of great sex educators, they don't see, you know, out of 25 people, 23 white women and mm-hmm. then Sonny Megatron and Dan Savage, you know, or whoever else. That Got it. Is. So it. So that Got there it. is actual okay. diversity as opposed to pretending like we're trying to be diverse. Yes. Got it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. That's
0: wonderful. Yeah. And let me know how I can support you on that as you build it.
1: Yeah. Okay. We'll do. We'll keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um. So speaking of the diversity, um, I want to ask you a couple of questions and I, I did just so the listeners know, I did ask your consent before we started because I know sometimes marginalized people don't want to have to educate. They want to feel like resourced and have enough energy to educate and not be the one that is expected to educate all the time. So I did get Zach's consent ahead of time to educate us about some of these concepts. And I have to say that I've been guilty of, of with, you know, unknowingly tokenizing as I've been, trying to create diversity and because I'm an event producer um, and I want to have diversity and so in my attempt to create diversity I've caused people to feel tokenized so can you talk a little bit about that I think you have a story about that and and talk a little bit about how that feels as a black person to be tokenized
1: uh, yeah, so, um, and yes, again, thanks for asking, and thanks for asking consent for this, because you're right. There are those of us who are, you know, are black or are people of color that don't have the bandwidth. Um, you know, I, I sometimes say I don't have enough money in my, my, my account to, to really tackle these things. But I am an educator, and I do know that for us to really teach, you know, somebody at some point has to say, listen, I'm going to give it a stat. So there's that. So one thank you for that. Um, and I am willing to do so. Secondly, I, I, I need to make it clear that I can speak to my own sort of experience and point of view. I do not represent all POCs, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but I can speak mm-hmm. to, to my experience. And you're right. So I did. Um, I did as a speaker go to a conference, and, and I won't name it um, just to keep things from being too complicated. Uh, but I went to a conference um, that I had never been to before. Actually, um, a friend of mine said, "Hey, this conference is in this area." you've never been in that area, why don't you submit and see if they'll take you? And they did. They wanted me to, to speak on um, consent, and I think also did self-care with that one. Um, and when, as obvious, often happens, um, whenever you're going to be a speaker at a conference, the organizer, and you know this, similar to you, the organizer will send out, you know, promotion materials, and they start putting it up on the website. Hey, these are the folks, and this is the list of names and stuff. And what happened is they put up. Um, on the website, essentially like a rectangle, and around the the border of the rectangle were pictures of the headshots of all the speakers. And if you looked at it, mm-hmm. at the top left you had me, at the top right you had somebody who appeared to be, and I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say appeared to be, an Asian female. Everyone else was a was a white person, and most of them white women. And so it very much was like, okay, so I'm the one POC other than this person who appears to be you know, Asian that I could tell. All right, fine. And then what I started doing was talking to other people who are, um, and I'll just say black or per, uh, people of color, um, educators, about this conference. And some of them were going and some of them weren't. And they were like, yeah, I'd heard that this, is, this conference can be very, very white-heavy. And I was like, well, at this point I've already agreed to go. And I will do that. I'll always honor a commitment to go and participate in something if I say I'm going to. Um, unless something really egregious happens, I'll go if for no other reason than to experience it for myself and then be better able to speak up. Um, And I went and I spoke and I did my thing. And, again, as often happens whenever you are participating in these conferences in meet space, they would like for the presenters to do more than just present. They want you to participate in some of the social things, interact with the guests and whatnot, because the presenters are the draw. You are the attraction. And while I'm okay with that, and I do some of that as I'm able, For me, the caveat is always, look, I'm an introvert, and sometimes public speaking drains me, so I will do Mm -hmm. things like go Mm -hmm. and speak, and if I don't have any more bandwidth, I go to my room and I recharge because that's a Mm self-care thing, and I I don't ever feel Mm -hmm. guilty about doing that. As I understand it, um, that happened at this particular conference where they had, I guess, a function or a gathering of a bunch of people. It was kind of like a a quasi-social, but they had a panel where they were talking to some of the speakers, and it came up. Uh, I guess somebody asked a question about there not being, there being a very few number of, of people of color who were presenters at this particular conference. And one of the organizers stood up and said, well, wait a minute, we've got Zach. What about Zach? And, of course, Zach wasn't in the room, which kind mm-hmm. of proved the point because it sounded very much like, wait a minute, where's my token black guy? That's, you know, and, right. and of course this was relayed to me later. You know, it's like, well, you know, it's, am, am I here because you want my ideas or am I here because you needed a window dressing to add a little bit of shade to the whiteness that you have here? And I mm-hmm. know it sounds contentious, but the reality is when that's how I feel, that is how I feel, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I don't ever go into these things expecting that. And, and to be fair, I don't think people do it intentionally. I think they're not paying attention mm-hmm. to what they do. Mm-hmm. Now here's mm-hmm. the key to that is that if they're not doing it intentionally, when people point it out – the response should be, oh, crap, we didn't know, we apologize. what can we do to be better? When mm-hmm. the response is defensiveness, now I get less mm-hmm. and less convinced about your sincerity. And that's, I think, the mm-hmm. issue. Um, mm-hmm. When tokenization comes up, and it does happen, and it can happen very quickly if you're not paying attention, um, and there, we could go into a bunch of reasons why colorblindness and other things, but the idea is, and this is, by the way, this goes with just about any consent violation. This is what I would have loved for Joe Biden to do. You know, when you realize you screwed up or at least acknowledge it, acknowledge it, say I'm sorry. That's the first step owning it, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to explaining why you did it because that doesn't help anybody. Right. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it actually, in my, in, from my point of view, it makes things worse. Because what that is is, one, you're not open to the feedback. Two, you don't, you're more invested in not being wrong than in realizing that you screwed up and doing it the right way the next time. Um, and so it just so happened that, in this case, the organizers got defensive and remained pretty damn defensive uh, as far as I know to this day. Um, and so that experience, it kind of leaves me with a foul taste in my mouth. The other thing that happened at that conference is, um, leading up to it before it happened, I'm in a, one of the black and poly groups, actually I'm in a couple of black and poly groups on social media, I think on Facebook, and um, there were a group of black people who lived in the area where this conference was going to be, and they were having a conversation about whether or not they were going to go to this conference, and basically the general consensus was, well, no, because last year I went, and it was just a whole bunch of white people, and I don't want to be you know, at a conference with a whole bunch of white people. Well, somebody went to the website and saw that picture with me on there and said, well, hey, there is at least one black speaker. And so I was watching this conversation. I kind of piped up. I said, hey, that's me. And they're like, really? And I said, yeah. What they did was direct message me. They reached out to me personally to ask if I would come and chat with them when I was in town just so they could speak to a speaker who was a person of color and presenting at the conference and would not have to go to this conference. Like, they literally Mm. were willing to come and pick me up at the hotel, take me to dinner, and let's just all have a chat as people who are part of the larger black and poly community so they can avoid the Mm -hmm. conference since I'm going to be in town anyway. And so what Mm. that tells me is that if the black community in that area is willing to find me and reach me out and and communicate with me, they want to have communication. But if they don't feel like they're being engaged, they won't bother. And clearly they aren't being engaged, you know. So – um, that to me was very, very telling that I could be literally from another part of the country and black people in that area who are also poly would rather, you know, come pick me up, you know, because I don't have a car. They, came to, you know, they wanted to come pick me up, take me to dinner and whatnot, than to go and bother with this conference because they do not feel themselves represented. And what I don't think wow. happens is that organizers don't realize you're missing an opportunity if you are not working very, very, very hard. To not just advertise that you are open, but show up to the things these people care about and tell mm-hmm. them, listen, we would love for you to participate. Not because we want more color in our field, but because we want you to be participate. We want you to be a part mm-hmm. of this. We are all part of the larger poly community, and we're going to do the extra work because at this point, it's not enough to say, hey, we have this conference. Y'all come. You need to show up and say we, where they're going to be and say we would love for you all to be a part of this if you would like. You literally have to, yes, in a sense, sort of subjugate yourself hat in hand and and, and extend that olive branch, but be prepared for the fact that the answer may be, look, I don't trust you, no, (laughs) you know, but that's that's okay. That's how you build bridges. Um, But, you know, in other words, it's build a bridge, not sit there on the other side of the riverbank and say, why won't you swim to us? You know, that's kind of Mm the key um, for me, and so that's what I got out of that experience, and that's what I see happening a lot, um, obviously,
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why your um, Space Force will be so awesome. So you can just say, hey, you know, yeah. you should have, like, you know, at least 25% cutie pox at your mm-hmm. events, and here's our, here's our list of options for you. Yeah. So that's great. Right, or, you um, know, or but- at least
1: just say, hey, we've got these presenters that we can, you know, bring along if you are interested in actually having some diversity at your, you know, your function and whatnot, mm-hmm. and then go from there. And then we can do things yeah. like rate the organizers and stuff like that too. I mean, all these are ideas that are down the road. Totally. Well, you
0: know, it's such a fine line, um, and I'm learning so much in the past year from being involved with the the space force with the the sex positive activists, educators, and counselors in this community. Mm. Um, I'm learning so much because you know I I thought that I was. You know, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm in my late 50s, so, you know, I, yeah. I'm definitely of the, it's like, the tail end of the baby boomer generation and, you yeah. know, post-60s, and I thought I was so liberal and so accepting and inclusive, and there's so many subtleties that you aren't aware of until you really take the time to listen and shut, shut up and, and really listen to how people mm. are feeling and not, not defend, like you said. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I listen, there's a, a really fine line between creating diversity as an event producer. Like I want to create diversity in an event. So what is my motivation? Is my motivation to be able to attract lots of people so they get the information so that we have a better world? Yeah. And then how much of my motivation is just so I can feel like, feel good about myself that I yeah. A good person that you know check the box that I'm, I'm cool because I've got this diverse event. You know what I mean? Like it's subtle in there and
1: yeah. If I can jump in real quick, yeah, um, yeah. If I can jump in real quick, um, one of the things that uh, this used to happen when I was um, part of the some of the poly groups here in Houston is that would come up is people would literally look in the room and say, "Wait a minute, there's a lot of white people here," and then they would come to me. This is more. Um, this is also this tokenization is it's also what um, Kevin calls in his book forced ambassadorship, where it's like, hey, you're a black person. How do we get more? How do we get more people like you to do this? And I my usual response is to stop asking that question. But the other thing is when mm-hmm. they actually start talking about, listen, if we want to have more diversity. I always tell them you need to discern: Do you want to be more diverse, or do you want to feel like you're being more diverse? Yeah, because those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. is, it, are, are, is your concern the optics, you know, or do you want to feel like you're a good person by saying, well, we tried and they won't show up, and then you go back home? You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. what exactly is it that you want to do here? So if you're looking for real diversity, you need to understand, asking me one question isn't going to cut it. This is not a quick mm-hmm. fix. But if you want to feel better about the fact that you're one of the quote-unquote good white people, I'm not here for you because mm-hmm. I don't have time to make you <laughs> right. feel better about it. To me, to me, that's uh. not about you, you know, telling yourself you're a good person. And, and asking me to, to basically tell you this is why you're a good person so that you can sleep oh. at night. And I don't care whether or not you sleep well at night. I, I want to yes. live in a world that is both sex positive and actually diverse, not that talks about yeah. it, but actually doesn't. And to me, yeah, that's a that, lot of work. And such I'm like, a, you know, how, how committed such, are you?
0: Yeah, I hear you. It's such a big thing. That It's such a big thing. And I, I hope that other people listening will, will really let that sink in because it's really easy for us to become for white people to become so offended, like, no, I'm not racist. Um, and then (laughs) we make it about us. And then now, you know, people of color are taking care of our fragility and our upsetness around it, you know, instead of like just listening and like dealing with your feelings about God, I'm learning and growing. And I see those deeper parts of me that, that, you know, absorbed racism from my culture, and it's okay. I'm not a horrible person. It's just we all get right. steeped in it in our life, you know, and we have to forgive ourselves yeah. for that as we're learning.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that that's absolutely well, something that happens is you're right. They, they get so busy being defensive that it's like, you know, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm not a bad – and then suddenly the people of color who are the marginalized group to begin with have to do the job of talking yeah. them down, making them feel better about themselves. Exactly. And I don't think there's anything <laughs> right. wrong – with as a marginalized person saying, listen, I'm not here to make you feel better about shit. That's your problem. Yeah. Now, do, do yeah, you want exactly. to do the work to be right. diverse? Right. I can help you with that, but that's your problem. That's to a Make good you feel one. better about <laughs> me. I mean, I, yeah. Well,
0: maybe but. we could do a whole other show on this another time, but we're out of time. <laughs> but I love you this, could. and I yeah. really appreciate you addressing that topic. I think that was very, very rich. Really appreciate your, your emotional labor to teach around that. It's so needed. Um, but before we run out of time, I want to let our listeners know that um, Zach was part of a uh, speaker, an online speaker summit that I created with a bunch of other people just as brilliant as Zach. Um, we had Dr. Kim TallBear, a professor of Native Studies at the University of Alberta, Canada, who talked about how our relationships are affected by socialization and political structures and colonization, which was fascinating. She's brilliant. Um, we had, um, the star of the Showtime series, Polyamory, Married and Dating, Kamala Devi McClure. Um, we had, speaking of the Me Too movement, we had a woman who co-authored a famous book come out about, you know, call out her co-author about some, um, problematic behavior. And that was really intense to, to have that happen, like in real time. So, um, so please, uh, you know, continue to listen to give her a platform. Um, and the way you can find this, um, this summit is by going to successful polyamory.com slash Z Successfulpolyamory.com Z B U D D. And this is Zach's link to the the summit so that he gets credit for it. Um, so also, uh, we just have a couple minutes, and I want you to let our listeners know how they can reach you and anything else that you want to offer them.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, so I am open to kind of being communicated with. I, I warn people because I work full-time and I'm a full-time grad student that time is, is very, very precious and fleeting. I also have multiple partners, but I can be reached. Uh, my best email address is uh, z uh, Invictus. That's i n v i c t u z at gmail dot com, um, and then the probably the easiest place to reach me as far as social media is on my Twitter page. Um, it's at black underscore sex geek. Uh, you have to use the underscore after the word black, or else you get Ruby. So mm-hmm. my, um, mm-hmm. my 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 ride or die, Ruby Johnson. So it's at black underscore sex geek, and um, you'll you'll pull it up, and it'll say uh, Consent King, aka Zach, or something like that, and that's. And that's that me, and that's the best way to sort of communicate with me, reach out to me. I love hearing from people that have questions about consent or any of the things that I ramble on about because I do enjoy this stuff. So. And you're available
0: for um, speaking engagements, especially for hire, right? Absolutely.
1: Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, I'm available for speaking engagements. Um, I do like, again, get on my calendar. Um, my, my website is consentwarrior.com. But truthfully, because I still gotta get better at taking care of my website, emailing me is the best emailer or, or Twitter. Okay. Is the best way to actually get my attention. But they, they can definitely look at me up at consentwarrior.com. com to um, I usually post where I'm gonna be on there. So.
0: Okay. And also, if you are a marginalized person and you want to be part of that um, uh, diversity platform that Zach is creating, please reach out to him as well. So we are out of Absolutely, time. Absolutely. Yeah. To thank Thank, yeah, thank you so much, Zach. It was wonderful to have you on my podcast, and I wish you the best of luck, and I'll see you at the next conference.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much, Timothy. It was a pleasure as always. See you next time.
0: Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So please join us next week when we will be um, speaking with the amazingly juicy Lucia Pavone. She is a um, passion and sensuality coach, and pleasure activist. So uh, please join us 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading as Love Radio next week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.